So good evening and welcome to Empathy Media Lab's Belief Street. My name is Evan Papp and I'll be exploring religious concepts through the text and scripture, interviews and profiles, and documentaries and films. So why do I want to explore religious concepts even though I haven't been practicing Catholic for over two decades? Well first, I'm appalled at the hypocrites who have hijacked Jesus's teachings to love our neighbor and treat people the way we want to be treated. And as an outsider looking into the internal politics of the Catholic Church, it appears to me that there's a civil war raging between a progressive Pope Francis and a very dangerous reactionary element that sides with the hypocrites previously mentioned. Ultimately, the outcome of this battle will determine whether it is fear or love that organizes the Holy See. So for this series of Belief Street, I'll be reading Fratelli Tutti, which is Pope Francis's encyclical subtitled on Fraternity and Social Friendship. The encyclical calls for more human fraternity and solidarity and is a plea to reject wars. The document was signed on October 3rd, 2020 on the occasion of Pope Francis's visit to the tomb of his namesake, St. Francis of Assisi, and was published the following day on the Saint's Feast Day. The Catholic Church I went to growing up in Muskegon, Michigan was called St. Francis de Sales and is one of the strangest concrete structures I've ever seen. The Sunday experience in that brutalist architectural design made a lasting impression on me that I plan to discuss in coming episodes. Almost 20 years ago, I had the pleasure of visiting the town of Assisi in Italy during a solo backpacking trip across Europe at the beginning of the US invasion of Iraq. After a day of exploration, I found a modest campsite at Fontemaggio Assisi, not far from the town center, ate a delicious pasta meal with some local red wine. And I still remember that night sleeping on the side of a mountain on a clear evening, looking up at the sky and thinking about the deeper questions of our life. So with an interest in getting back to my roots, tonight I'll follow last week's reading with chapter two of Fratelli Tutti. Chapter two. A Stranger on the Road, 56. The previous chapter should not be read as a cool and detached description of today's problems. For the joys and hopes, the grief and anguish of the people of our time, especially of those who are poor or afflicted, are the joys and hopes, the grief and anguish of the followers of Christ as well. Nothing that is genuinely human fails to find an echo in their hearts. In the attempt to search for a ray of light in the midst of what we are experiencing, before proposing a few lines of action, I now wish to devote a chapter to a parable told by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Although this letter is addressed to all people of goodwill, regardless of their religious convictions, the parable is one that any of us can relate to and find challenging. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, 
when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers, he said. The one who showed him mercy, Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The context, 57. The parable has to do with an age-old problem. Shortly after its account of the creation of the world and of man, the Bible takes up the issue of human relationships. Cain kills his brother Abel and then hears God ask, where is your brother Abel? His answer is one that we ourselves all too often give. Am I my brother's keeper? By the very question he asks, God leaves no room for an appeal to determinism or fatalism as a justification for our own indifference. Instead, he encourages us to create a different culture in which we resolve our conflicts and care for one another. 58. The book of Job sees our origin in the one creator as the basis of certain common rights. Did not he who made me in the womb also make him? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? Many centuries later, Saint Arrhenius would use the image of a melody to make the same point. One who seeks the truth should not concentrate on the differences between one note and another, thinking as if each was created separately and apart from the others. Instead, he should realize that one and the same person composed the entire melody. 59. In earlier Jewish tra traditions, the imperative to love and care for others appears to have been limited to relationships between members of the same nation. The ancient commandments to love your neighbor as yourself was usually understood as referring to one's fellow citizens. Yet the boundaries gradually expanded, especially in the Judaism that developed outside of the land of Israel. We encounter the command not to do to others what you would not want them to do to you. In the first century before Christ, Rabbi Hillel stated, this is the entire Torah. Everything else is commentary. The desire to imitate God's own way of acting gradually replaced the tendency to think only of those nearest us. The compassion of man is for his neighbor, but the compassion of the Lord is for all living things. 60. In the New Testament, Hillel's precept was expressed in positive terms. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. This command is universal in scope, embracing everyone on the basis of our shared humanity, since a heavenly father makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. Hence the summons to be merciful, just as your father is merciful. In the oldest texts of the Bible, we find a reason why our hearts should expand to embrace the foreigner. It derives from the enduring memory of the Jewish people that they themselves had once lived as foreigners in Egypt. You should not wrong or oppress a stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You should not oppress a stranger, you know the heart of a stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. When a stranger resides with you in your land, 
you shall not do him wrong. The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the stranger as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, do not glean what is left. It shall be for the sojourner, the orphan, and the widow. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. The call to fraternal love echoes throughout the New Testament. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light, and in such a person there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the darkness. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. Those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have, have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. 62. Yet this, is call, yet this call to love could be misunderstood. St. Paul, recognizing the temptation of the earliest Christian communities to form closed and isolated groups, urged his disciples to abound in love for one another and for all. In the Joannine community, fellow Christians were to be welcomed, even though they are strangers to you. In this context, we can better understand the significance of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Love does not care if a brother or sister in need comes from one place or another. For love shatters the chains that keeps us isolated and separate in their place. It builds bridges. Love enables us to create one great family where all of us can feel at home. Love, love exudes compassion and dignity. Abandoned on the wayside. Jesus tells the story of a man assaulted by thieves and lying injured on the wayside. Several persons passed by him, passed him by, but failed to stop. These were people holding important social positions, yet lacking a real concern for the common good. They would not waste a couple of minutes caring for the injured man or even in calling for help. Only one person stopped, approached the man, and cared for him personally, even spending his own money to provide for his needs. He also gave him something that in our frenetic world we cling to tightly, he gave him his time. Certainly, he had his own plans for that day, his own needs, commitments, and desires, yet he was able to put all that aside when confronted with someone in need. Without even knowing the injured man, he saw him as deserving of his time and attention. 64. Which of these persons do you identify with? This question, blunt as it is, is direct and incisive. Which of these characters do you resemble? We need to acknowledge that we are constantly tempted to ignore others, especially the weak. Let us admit that for all the progress we have made, we are still illiterate when it comes to accompanying, caring for, and supporting the most frail and vulnerable members of our developed societies. We've become accustomed to looking the other way, passing by, ignoring situations until they affect us directly. Sixty-five. Someone is, in, someone is assaulted on our streets, and many hurry off as if they did not notice. People hit someone with their car and then flee the scene. Their only desire is to avoid problems. It does not matter that, through their fault, another person could die. All these are signs of an approach to life that is spreading in various and subtle ways. 
What is more caught up as we are with our own needs, the sight of a person who is suffering disturbs us, makes us uneasy, since we have no time to waste on other people's problems. These are symptoms of an unhealthy society, a society that seeks prosperity but turns its back on suffering. May we not, 66, may we not sink to such depths. Let us look to the example of the Good Samaritan. Jesus' parable summons us to rediscover our vocation as citizens of our respective nations and of the entire world, builders of a new social bond. This summons is ever new, yet it is grounded in a fundamental law of our being. We are called to direct society to the pursuit of the common good, and with this purpose in mind, to persevere in consolidating its political and social order, its fabric of relations, its human goals. By his actions, the Good Samaritan showed that the existence of each and every individual is deeply tied to that of others. Life is not simply time that passes. Life is a time for interactions. 67. The parable eloquently presents the basic decision we need to make in order to rebuild our wounded world. In the face of so much pain and suffering, our only course is to imitate the Good Samaritan. Any other decision would make us either one of the robbers or one of those who walk by without showing compassion for the suffering of the man on the roadside. The parable shows us how a community can be rebuilt by men and women who identify with the vulnerability of others, who reject the creation of a society of exclusion, and act instead as neighbors, lifting up and rehabilitating the fallen for the sake of the common good. At the same time, it warns us about the attitude of those who think only of themselves and fail to shoulder the inevitable responsibilities of life as it is. 68. The parable, the parable clearly does not indulge in abstract moralizing, nor is its message merely social and ethical. It speaks to us of an essential and often forgotten aspect of our common humanity. We were created for, 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 we were created for a fulfillment fulfillment that can only be found in love. We cannot be indifferent to suffering. We cannot allow anyone to go through life as an outcast. Instead, we should feel indignant, challenged to emerge from our comfortable isolation and to be changed by our contact with human suffering. That is the meaning of dignity. A story constantly retold. 69. The parable, the parable is clear and straightforward, yet it, is also, yet it also evokes the interior struggle that each of us experiences as we gradually come to know ourselves through our relationships with our brothers and sisters. Sooner or later, we will all encounter a person who is suffering. Today, there are more and more of them. The decision to include or exclude those lying wounded along the roadside can serve as a criterion for judging every economic, political, social, and religious project. Each day we have to decide whether to be good Samaritans or indifferent bystanders. And if we extend our gaze to the history of our own lives and that of the entire world, all of us are or have been like each of the characters in the parable. All of us have in ourselves something of the wounded man, something of the robber, something of the passerbys, the passersby and something of the Good Samaritan, 70. It's remarkable how the various characters in the story change. 
once confronted by the painful sight of the poor man on the roadside. The distinctions between Judean and Samaritan, priest and merchant, fade into insignificance. Now there are only two kinds of people, those who care for someone who is hurting and those who pass by, those who bend down to help and those who look the other way and hurry off. Here, all our dis distinctions, labels and masks fall away. This is the moment of truth. Will we bend down to touch and heal the wounds of others? Will we bend down and help another to get up? This is today's challenge and we should not be afraid to face it. In the moments of crisis, decisions become urgent. It can be said that here and now, anyone who's neither a robber nor a passerby is either injured himself or bearing an injured person on his shoulder. Seventy-one. The story of the Good Samaritan is constantly being repeated. We can see this clearly as social and political inertia is turning many parts of our world into a desolate byway, even as domestic and international disputes and the robbing of opportunities are leaving great numbers of the marginalized stranded on the roadside. In his parable, Jesus does not offer alternatives. He does not ask what might have happened had the injured man or the one who helped him yielded to anger or a thirst for revenge. And thank you, Mr. Tremonti. Tune in, Tokyo. <laughs> Jesus trusts in the best of the human spirit with this parable. He encourages us to persevere in love, to restore dignity to the suffering, and to build a society worthy of the name. The characters of the story. The parable begins with the robbers. Jesus, cho Jesus chose to start when robbery has already taken place, lest we dwell on the crime itself or the thieves who committed it. Yet we know them well. We have seen descending on our world the dark shadows of neglect and violence in the service of petty interests of power, gain, and division. The real question is this. Will we abandon the injured man and run to take refuge from the violence? Or will we pursue the thieves? Will the wounded man end up being the justification for our irreconcilable divisions, our cruel indifference, our intestine conflicts? 73. The parable then asks us to take a closer look at the passerbys, passersby. The nervous indifference that makes them pass to the other side of the road, whether innocently or not, whether the result of disdain or mere distraction, makes the priests and the Levite a sad reflection of the growing gulf between ourselves and the world around us. There are many ways to pass by at a safe distance. We can retreat inwards, ignore others, or be indifferent to their plight, or simply look elsewhere as in some countries, or certain sectors of them, where contempt is shown for the poor and their culture, and one looks the other way as if a development plan imported from without could edge them out. This is how some just, justify their indifference. The poor, whose pleas for help might touch their hearts, simply do not exist. The poor are beyond the scope of their interest. 74. One detail about the passersby does stand out. They were religious, devoted to the worship of God, a priest and a Levite. This detail should not be overlooked. It shows that belief in God and the worship of God are not enough to ensure that we are, li we are actually living in a way pleasing to God. Believer may be untrue to everything that his faith demands of him. 
and yet think he is close to God and better than others. The guarantee of an authentic openness to God, on the other hand, is a way of practicing the faith that helps open our hearts to our brothers and sisters. St. John Chrysotum expressed this pointedly when he challenged his Christian hearers. Do you wish to honor the body of the Savior? Do not despise it when it is naked. Do not honor it in church with silk vestments, while outside is naked and numb with cold. Paradoxically, those who claim to be unbelievers can sometimes put God's will into practice better than believers. 75. Robbers usually find secret allies in those who pass by and look the other way. There's a certain interplay between those who manipulate and cheat society and those who, while claiming to be detached and impartial critics, live off that system and its benefits. There's a sad hypocrisy when the impunity of crime, the use of institutions for personal or corporate gain, and other evils apparently impossible to eradicate are accompanied by a relentless criticism of everything, a constant sowing of suspicion that results in distrust and confusion. The complaint that everything is broken is answered by the claim that it can't be fixed, or what can I do? This feeds into disillusionment and despair and hardly encourages a spirit of solidarity and generosity. Plunging people into despair closes a perfectly perverse circle. Such is the agenda of the invisible dictatorship of hidden interests that have gained mastery over both resources and the possibility of thinking and expressing opinions. Seventy-six. Let us turn at last to the injured man. There are times when we feel like him badly hurt and left on the side of the road. We can also feel helpless because our institutions are neglected and lack resources or simply serve the interests of a few without and within. Indeed, globalized society often has an elegant way of shifting its gaze. Under the guise of being politically correct or ideologically fashionable, we look at those who suffer without touching them, televised live pictures of them, even speaking about them with euphemisms, with apparent tolerance. Starting new, 77. Each day offers us a new opportunity, a new possibility. We should not expect everything from those who govern us, for that would be childish. We have the space we need for a co-responsibility in creating and putting into place new processes new processes and changes. Let us take an active part in renewing and supporting our troubled societies. Today, we have a great opportunity to express our innate sense of fraternity, to be good Samaritans, who bear the pain of other people's troubles rather than fomenting greater hatred and resentment. Like the chance traveler in the parable, we need only have a pure and simple desire to be a people, a community, constant and tireless in the effort to include, integrate, and lift up the fallen. We may often find ourselves succumbing to the mentality of the violent, the blindly ambitious, those who spread mistrust and lies. Others may continue to view politics or the economy as an arena for their own power plays. For our part, let us foster what is good and place ourselves at its service. 78. 
We can start from below and case by case act at the most concrete and local levels and then expand to the farthest reaches of our countries and our world with the same care and concern that the Samaritan showed for each of the wounded man's injuries. Let us seek out others and embrace the world as it is without fear of pain or a sense of inadequacy because there we will discover all the goodness that God has planted in human hearts. Difficulties that seem overwhelming are opportunities for growth, not excuses for a glum resignation that can lead only to acquiescence. Yet let us not do this alone as individuals. The Samaritan discovered an innkeeper who would care for the man. We too are called to unite as a family that is stronger than the sum of small individual members. For the whole is greater than the part, but is also greater than the sum of its parts. Let us renounce the pettiness and resentment of useless infighting and constant confrontation. Let us stop feeling sorry for ourselves and acknowledge our crimes, our apathy, our lies. Reparation and reconciliation will give us new life and set us all free from fear. 79. The Samaritan who stopped along the way departed without expecting any recognition or gratitude. His effort to assist another person gave him great satisfaction in life and before his God, and thus became a duty. All of us have a responsibility for the wounded, those of our own people and all the peoples of the earth. Let us care for the needs of every man and woman, young and old, with the same fraternal spirit of care and closeness that marked the Good Samaritan. Neighbors Without Borders, 80. Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan in answer to the question, who is my neighbor? The word neighbor in the society of Jesus' time usually meant those nearest to us, nearest us. It was felt that help should be given primarily to those of one's own group and race. For some Jews of that time, Samaritans were looked down upon, considered impure. They were not among those to be helped. Jesus himself, a Jew, completely transforms this approach. He asks us not to decide who is close enough to be our neighbor, but rather that we ourselves become neighbors to all. 81. Jesus asks us to be present in those in need of help, regardless of whether or not they belong to our social group. In this case, the Samaritan became a neighbor to the wounded Judean. By approaching and making himself present, he crossed all cultural and historical barriers. Jesus concludes a parable by saying, go and do likewise. In other words, he challenges us to put aside all differences and in the face of suffering to draw near to others with no questions asked. I should no longer say that I have neighbors to help, but that I must myself as a neighbor be a neighbor to others. 82. The parable though is troubling for you. Jesus says that the wounded man was a Judean while the one who stopped and helped him was a Samaritan. This detail is quite significant for our reflection on a love that includes everyone. The Samaritans lived in a region where pagan rites were practiced. For the Jews, this made them impure, detestable, dangerous. In fact, one ancient Jewish text referring to nations that were hated speaks of Samaria, Samaria, Samaria as not even a people. It also refers to the foolish people that live in Shechem. 83. This explains why a Samaritan woman, when asked by Jesus for a drink, answered curtly, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? 
The most offensive charge that those who sought to discredit Jesus could bring was that he was possessed in a Samaritan. So this encounter of a mercy of mercy between a Samaritan and a Jew is highly, a Jew is highly provocative. It leaves no room for ideological manipulation and challenges us to expand our frontiers. <clears throat> it gives us universal dimension to our call to love, one that tr transcends all prejudices, all historical and cultural barriers, all petty interests. The plea to the stranger. Finally, I would note, 84, finally, I would note that in another passage of the gospel, Jesus says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Jesus could speak those words because he had an open heart, sensitive to the difficulties of others. St. Paul urges us to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. When our hearts do this, they are capable of identifying with others without worrying about where they were born or come from. In the process, we come to experience others as our own flesh. 85. For Christians, the words of Jesus have an even deeper, deeper meaning. The words of Jesus have an even deeper meaning. They compel us to recognize Christ himself in each of our abandoned or excluded brothers and sisters. Faith has untold power to inspire and sustain our respect for others. For believers come to know that God loves every man and woman with infinite love and thereby confers infinite dignity upon all humanity. We likewise believe that Christ shed his blood for each of us and that no one is beyond the scope of his universal love. If we go to the ultimate source of that love, which is the very life of the, of the true in God, we encounter in the community of the three divine persons, the origin and perfect model of all life and society. Theology continues to be enriched by its reflection on this great truth. 86, I sometimes wonder why in light of this, it took so long for the church unequivocally to condemn slavery and various forms of violence. Today with our developed spirituality and theology, we have no excuses. Still, there are those who appear to feel encouraged or at least permitted by their faith to support varieties of narrow and violent nationalism, xenophobia and contempt, and even the mistreatment of those who are different. Faith and the humanism it inspires must maintain a critical sense in the face of these tendencies and prompt an immediate response whenever they rear their head. For this reason, it is important that catechism catechism or catechesis and, and preaching speak more directly and clearly about the social meaning of existence, the fraternal dimension of spirituality, our conviction of the inalienable dignity of each person, and our reasons for loving and accepting all our brothers and sisters. <laughs>